All right, bring it in, bring it in, bring it in. Let's see some Bibles. Show me you're ready to worship. Let's see some Bibles. Hold them up. See some Bibles on the count of three. Say word one. Stuff. Bible. Count. One, two, three. Word. Okay, open up. Second Timothy 4. And as we turn the pages of Scripture, may we turn our hearts to the Lord in prayer. And I invite you, if you're able, let's go to our knees in the prayer today. <clears throat> Father, we, we bow before you as our King and our Master. We speak to you in great need. We need you. We need you, we need you, we need you. And, and as we study your word, I, I pray that I pray that this physical posture is our spiritual posture and the posture of our hearts, that we're in submission to you, inviting you to radically transform the way we think, to help correct ways that, that we feel, to renew our mind and to, 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 to transform our heart, to move our hands and feet. And so, so Father, I, I, I ask that you would powerfully intervene into this service to equip your people, to empower your children, to grow us in love, and to grow us together. Father, we are in dire need of these things today and every day, and I, I ask for these in Jesus' name. Amen. So, wow. First of all, thank you for being here. Welcome to Restore. Uh, you guys, and, and I want to give a special thanks to everybody online, and I also want to thank you guys, and... and um, we have a lot of people who social distance and worship here, but in the lobby. And, and I want to hear from you guys. We want to get better at uh, ministering to everybody who social distance. And so um, we'd love to hear comments on how we can do that. And right now, would you guys just appreciate in this room so loud the people who come anyways? Um, so the goal, the goal of that was that the doors closed and everybody in the lobby could hear you appreciating them because some of them come late and leave early uh, just because they, they do some social distancing. So we want to we just honor everybody we can and, and just invite them to the fullest worship we can. Amen, family? And so um, on that note, thanks again for being here. I promise you we're going to go back to the big series we're doing, the whole story. I know you guys have been loving it and you're missing it. Um, we're going to do that after Easter so that our Crofton plant and our Yankton plant can be in the same reading plan together. Um, but today what we're doing is we're starting another miniseries called Reclaiming Christianity. And I wonder how easily how many of you can think of an example of somebody you know and somebody who you love expressing a deep heartfelt dislike for Christianity, for the Christian church, and maybe even a distaste for Jesus. And as they describe this distaste and what their issues are with Christianity, you quickly realize the thing they dislike, the thing they describe, is something that isn't even close to resembling Christ Jesus our Lord. Anybody? Anybody? <clears throat> well... Um, the, the reality is, some people dislike Christianity for who Jesus is. 
Scripture tells us, let's, let's acknowledge it, that the gospel is what? Folly to those who are perishing. So we, we know some people dislike Christianity for who Jesus is, but many people dislike Christianity for something that it is not. I'll say that again. Think about those words, okay? Some people dislike Christianity for who Jesus is, but many people dislike it for what it is not. I'll never forget a time when um, a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, was expressing his, his intense distaste for the Christian church. And he was just unloading. He was just letting it all out of his deep dislike for the Christian church. And I don't remember what his specific complaints were, but I do kind of remember my response. It was something along the lines of this. Bro, I'm right here. <laughs> okay? My wife and myself, we were both there, and we're kind of like, bro, we're right here. And his response, I'll never forget it. He said, he said oh, oh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, you know I'm never talking about you when I say stuff like that. You guys are different. You guys are like real Christians. And, uh, you know, uh, a younger, more prideful Jeff would have, you know, heard those words and been a little puffed up by it and be like, yeah, you're darn right I am. Maybe make myself feel like some sort of super Christian, but an uh, older, more mature Jeff would hear those words and say, please no, I'm nothing of the sort. I just want to be, I'm a normal Christian and that's all I aspire to be, a Christian who is a sinner saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ my Lord. Amen, family? Just a normal Christian. Just a normal Christian. But, but the reality is, I, I believe we live in a time where there's great confusion about what it means to be a Christian and what Christianity really is, right? Where, where many people dislike Christianity for who Jesus is, but many dislike Christianity for something it is not. Because Christianity, the term at least, has been hijacked. And so today what we're talking about is, is reclaiming Christianity, See, I believe we live in a time where maybe it's not the time, but it's a time where Scripture mentions where an abundance of false teachers and false prophets have come in the name of Jesus trying to lead many astray. Are you feeling me, family? Is this landing well? I believe we're living in a time, maybe not, maybe not the time, but maybe a, definitely a time where that's happening. And listen, you and I have an incredible responsibility in our witness to be ambassadors of King Jesus. Amen? Yeah. Incredible responsibility. And, and here's the reality. Maybe some of you have had a similar experience to my friend. Where, where maybe at your core, you're shocked that you're even here. You're shocked that you walked through the doors of a church. You're even more shocked that you, you joyfully claim the word Christian upon yourself. You're even more shocked that well, you, you, do, you go the extra distance and, and you actually do your part. You try to be involved outside of Sunday. And you walk with Jesus every day and you joyfully claim Christianity upon yourself. And maybe it shocks you because maybe once upon a time, you had a similar experience to my friend. Right? Where something called itself Christian, someone who called themselves Christian, 
gave you the biggest dose of something that was anything but resembling Christ. Right? Maybe, maybe, it, was a, maybe it was your friend who, who, who claimed Christianity, but they took advantage of you and they gave you the biggest betrayal that you never saw coming, showing you anything but the love of Jesus. Or, or maybe, maybe it was somebody you met on the street who was happy, more than happy, to tell you all about all of your sins, but didn't take the initiative to tell you about the God of grace who sent his son to die on the cross to wash away all of your sins. And you, heard, you have grown up, you, you've been encountered with a Christianity that's all condemnation and never talking about the forgiveness that's available to sinners. And you're shocked. You're shocked because... You're here, and you're talking about Jesus, and you're praising him, and you're shocked. Maybe you encountered a Christianity where, where you, you have been exposed to something where, where here's, here's how Jesus looks like, what Jesus looks like to you. you. You go to church on Sunday, and you amen and hoot and holler with somebody next to you who immediately walk out of the doors of the church and do all the opposites of all of the things that they were just amening and raising their hands to, about next to you. And maybe that's your view, what your view of Christianity has been. Or maybe you've been exposed to a Christianity that's more strategically attached to a political party than the savior of the world. And maybe that's your taste of Christianity. Or maybe a Christianity that's a marketing gimmick to make a product more appealing. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Christian business, but I'm just saying maybe that's the Jesus that you've been exposed to. I don't know what it looked like for you. But maybe you're here despite a poor representation of Jesus that you've seen because one day God showed up in this powerful and surprising way where he, you were compelled to, to open a Bible and you looked at it and you, you saw in the Holy Scriptures a, a Jesus that's way different than anything that you've seen or heard or that's been described to you and you're shocked and you're like, oh my gosh, this. I need to pursue this. Or, or maybe Jesus sends a person into your life that counteracted all of those experiences you had. And, and you, you met this person and, and suddenly and you saw something different in this person. Kind of like my friend described, on, hey, this is a little different. And before you knew it, there you were watching Jesus transform your life before your very eyes. And you're so glad that you didn't miss out on this Christ-centered Christianity that is all about Jesus and the world he loves. Oh, I don't know about you, I don't know what your experiences have been, but here's what I do know. The Christian church centered around Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, our salvation, the Christian church is God's plan A to make disciples of all nations, and he doesn't need or have a plan B. Here's what I do know. The Christian church is God's plan A to lead many people away from destruction and into salvation. Amen, family? Here's what I do know. You and I have an incredibly important calling on our lives to be part of God's plan to lead people to salvation in Jesus. Here's something else I know. You and I are going to make mistakes, mess up, and fail to be a perfect representation of Jesus. But we are going to do the best we can and trust God to do the rest that we can't. So over the next few weeks, I want to talk about how we are each going to do our part 
and we're going to reclaim Christianity. Today we're going to talk about reclaiming Christianity in the local church, and next week we're going to talk about reclaiming Christianity through global missions. With that in mind, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience, teaching and patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to, to the truth and wander off into myths. Now, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Have a seat, family. Second Timothy contains some of the most touching words in Scripture, and here's why. The Apostle Paul's writing Second Timothy to Timothy, a, a young man who he discipled and loved like a son. And the Apostle Paul, he's been arrested a few times for his ministry for his faith in Jesus. And the first time he was arrested, he got, he got to go on house arrest. He had some freedoms as a prisoner. He got to have visitors. He was on house arrest. The second time seems to be a little more harsh and a little more severe. And he's writing this letter during the second imprisonment. And as he's writing this letter during his second imprisonment, it's very clear he's going to be executed. I believe Emperor Nero's the emperor at this time, and you can just remember nasty Nero. He was a horrible, horrible emperor to Christians. And Paul knows he's about to be executed. And, and he, pleads with, he pleads with Timothy in this letter, and he, he, he says, I know my time is short. And he even pleads with him as a father to a son. That's how close they were. He says, if you can, come visit me quick. Come before winter, because if you can't make it by winter, you're not going to make it. Come, come visit me. But just in case you can't make it, the whole attitude of the letter is this. Just in case you can't make it in time, here are my parting words to you, my son. In case these are the last words I speak to you, I want you to know this. And there's this theme swirled about throughout the letter that repeats on, just, and on and on and on. It says, Timothy, whom I love, ministry's going to be hard. It's probably going to get harder for you. Endure. Ministry's going to get hard, endure. And then what he says, he says, false teachers and false prophets will arise, so endure some more. And that's kind of his farewell words to Timothy. And, and it swirls throughout the book. And then you get to chapter 4. And this is where the closing begins. And this is what he says. I charge you, my son, I charge you, do these things. These are his closing words, I charge you. I charge you, because this might be the last thing I get to say to you. I charge you. We could really sum it up like this, couldn't we? Don't let a darkening world disrupt effective Christian ministry. We could sum up 2 Timothy in these words. Don't let a darkening world disrupt effective Christian ministry. 
Can I just say the same thing to you? Don't let a darkening world disrupt effective Christian ministry. Let me, let me get a little more personal with it. Don't let a darkening world disrupt your effective Christian ministry. Anybody notice an increasing darkness in the world? I don't want to be a cynic, but can we, can we just be real? Can we, can, we, can we call it for what it is? And, and, and listen, Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, he says, wickedness in the world will increase. And with the, with the increasing wickedness in the world, here's what he says. The hearts of many will grow cold. Here's what he says. Those who endure to the end will be saved. 2 Timothy, we just read this, but he says, The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. And listen, if, there's a, if the word turn away is in verse 4, what do we know? That there's going to be people who you have poured into with Christ-centered ministry, Christ-centered love. You're going to pour your life into people and they will turn away. He's not just talking about strangers on the street. He's talking about people that you know and love. You're going to invest because that's what Christians do. When we talk about ministry, are we talking about a pastoral position? Aaron say, no, no. Aaron say, no, no. Okay, are we talking about, are we talking about pastoral positions? No. no, we're not talking about that. Okay, when he says people are turning away, he's talking about you. You see this throughout the New Testament. Don't let a darkening world disrupt your effective Christian ministry, even if and when there will be a turning away. I remember a dear sister in Christ, long time ago, call her Abigail. She, she put herself out there and she um, just said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just pour into effective Christian ministry. I'm, I'm just going to pour into women. I'm just going to be there for them and I'm going to love them and I'm going to just do ministry. I'm going to walk through life with them. She said, I'm going I'm to do this. And so, you know, one by one, she starts taking... Um, well, actually, she just started with one, and she said, "I'm, I'm going to take, I'm going to take this, I'm going to take this woman who I love, and I'm, I'm just going to love her with all I have. I'm going to be there for her." And they got really close. It was really powerful. They enjoyed all the togethers of friendship and sisterhood in Christ, and it led to Abigail's biggest betrayal greatest heartache she's ever experienced. And Abigail could have just thrown in the towel and been the Matthew 24 example, the heart of many will grow cold. And she was tempted to. She was really tempted to. But she kept going. She said, you know what? I'm going to love her even more. And I'm going to love all of them too. And what she didn't realize is that the Lord used that to prepare her for a long season of making disciples 
who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. And that, that after, that, after that single betrayal, she was so equipped to love so many people so well. And now she's, she's making disciples who make disciples, and, and it's going into the dozens. Listen, don't let a darkening world disrupt your effective Christian ministry. Amen, family? As you read through 2 Timothy and the rest of the book, there's a a lot leading up to these passages, echoing these same thoughts. Like uh, chapter 3, verse 13 says, evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. Imposters means it's going to come from inside the church. Go back farther. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 says that in the last days, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal. That's a scary word. I don't want brutal. Like, think about brutality. I don't want to be surrounded by brutal people, okay? They will, they will be without love for what is good. They will be traitors, That's tough. Oh, traitors. They will be reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And this echoes the words of Matthew 24, talking about about the same experiences the disciples would face and also talking about things that we would face in the future. And and here's here's um, here's the reality, okay? We may or may not be living in the time mentioned, but we are living in a time characterized by this text. Is this landing well? Am I talking to you guys today? Whenever I talk about this stuff, or when the world starts to kind of take a turn for the worst, people come up to me and they say, does this mean we're living in the end times? You know, like, like, like COVID really kind of rocked the world. You know, whatever your thoughts or opinions are on it, that's not what we're here to talk about. But the situation it represents, it really kind of changed the planet society, right? And people come up and say, are we, are we in the end times? And, and I, I always, I'll, if you ever ask me, I always tell you the same thing. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But I'll also tell you this. I'm not too concerned. I don't know, and I'm okay with that, and here's why. Whenever Jesus teaches about the end times, whenever God reveals anything to us through the end times and through Scripture, He's never concerned with telling you when. What is His priority when He tells you? Just know how it ends, He wins. Right? Just know how it ends, He wins. And then you know what He says? Regardless of when it happens, be ready for when it does, because it will come like a thief in the night. And so when people say, well, yeah, but let me know, are we in it? I just told you. I don't know. I don't know. But tell me. I don't know. I told you. But then here's what I would say. If the end came today or in a thousand years, what about the gospel change? What about the gospel changes? What about your ministry should change, whether it's today, tomorrow, or in a thousand years? Not a thing. And so amidst all of this, I want to just encourage you today with a really powerful word. Are you ready for this? Okay, the sobering truth of the day. If you think it's bad now, just wait. God has promised you it will get worse. Aren't you glad you came to church today? 
encouragement. Jesus tells us this, Paul tells us this, and then John shows us this in Revelation. If you think it's bad now, get some popcorn, buddy. Get comfy. Watch the show. You're part of it. <laughs> it's going to get worse. In fact, let's just, let me just tell you, it, it is getting worse, immeasurably worse. I just read a story yesterday. There's a pastor in Ethiopia who angered somebody, and right before he got ready to start preaching, somebody just walked up to him right as he's getting ready for his sermon, stabbed him, and killed him. That just happened yesterday in Ethiopia. We don't need to get political about it, so just put all your political thoughts away, aside. But um, there's a pastor in Canada, can, not Ethiopia, Canada, who has recent, he's been in prison for, since February for preaching to too many people during COVID restrictions. And you know, listen, we don't have to get into the technicalities of the COVID stuff. I just, just acknowledge um, the religious freedom that Canada enjoys similar to us, and there's a pastor in prison. Let's acknowledge that a few months ago in California, a very prominent pastor, again, just ignore your political things. I just take the fact for what it is and leave the rest alone right now because that's not what this conversation is about. But who got enough argument for the same thing the Canada guy got in with, with the city county government, and they threatened to cut their church off from the city power grid in retaliation for their disobedience. I'm just telling you, um, stuff's happening. Why am I telling you this? Am I, am I gaslighting right now? Am I just putting gas on the fire? No. No, I, I just want us to understand the reality. But what I want to do is I want to build up I want to build up to this key thought today, okay? And I want you to think about what, what any of these people who I just mentioned, what they're, how they're responding to this, okay? What are we talking about? We're talking about reclaiming Christianity, and, and here's how we do it, even in a darkening world. Are you ready for this? Okay. We don't need to spend all of our energy telling people what Christianity is not. We need to spend our energy showing them what it is. Right? In a darkening world... We don't need to spend our time telling people what Christianity is not. We need to spend our energy showing them what it is. And as a dark world grows darker, your light needs to shine brighter. Amen? Amen. We don't need to tell people what Christianity is not. We need to show them what it is. Listen, has, has anybody ever had the blessing before of somebody came to your job who doesn't do your job and lets you know that you're doing your job wrong? Has anybody ever had that? Isn't that the best? Don't you wish you got that more often? Somebody, somebody did that to me once, and I'm just, apparently, apparently I am just the worst pastor, okay? And um, I've got a lot of flaws, and I love, I love feedback. I, I'm, I love good feedback. But this person felt particularly empowered one day to just come up to me and just let me know some stuff about my job. And she comes to me and she says, you know, it's like, I'm preaching wrong. I'm leading wrong. I'm counseling wrong. I'm dressing wrong. That might be true. Um, if, if I wasn't wearing this dynamite shirt, right? Your shirts are in. Talk to Lexi and Sophie. Um, we'll get you some more if you want them. Aren't these great? They turned out so good. Anyways, so I'm preaching wrong. I'm leading wrong. I'm counseling wrong. I'm dressing wrong. I think I blinked wrong. And I'm like, I can't help it. My eye does that. You know, i like, God made me that way. Um, and uh, everything I did was, was the wrong way. And I, I just looked at her. I'm like, oh, thanks so much for the feedback. I said, um, but 
could you maybe show me the right way to do it then? And she says, well, I don't know the right way to do it. I just know you're doing it the wrong way. <laughs> you know, I'm just... But... <laughs> we do that sometimes as Christians, don't we, though? Apologetics are good. I love apologetics. I'm just telling you, I've never argued somebody into believing in Jesus. I've loved a lot of people there. God did the work, but he allowed me to love people closer to Jesus. But he didn't, he, I've never, I've never, I personally have never successfully seen someone come to salvation as their enemy, as an antagonist. Showing them where they're wrong without any offering any better way, right? Listen, Christians, we need to stop spending our time telling people what Christianity is not if we're not going to be willing to show them what it is. In fact, 2 Timothy 2.23, Paul says this. He says, reject ignorant disputes because you know that they breed quarrels. The Lord's servant must not quarrel but must be gentle to everyone. Able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. And then look at the next words. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, adding to them the knowledge of truth. Did you just read that, what I just read? Man. This is essentially Paul's word to Timothy, right? He gets really heavy too. He says, he says I charge you in the name of Jesus. Be ready in season and out of season. Endure the work. Endure and be effective in your ministry. Don't, you don't need to... He, he didn't say, Timothy, I need you to just go around and slap all the false teachers. Right? As gratifying as that would be, Timothy, that's not my calling to you. In fact, don't waste your time, all of your time, because like there, there's good correction. There's need for correction. He even says, correct, rebuke, and exhort, right? But he doesn't... Don't spend all your time with that. The focus of the message was... Do effective ministry. Take the lumps and keep going. Amen, family? Or say, keep going. Okay, take the lumps and keep going. That's his message to Timothy. And listen, these are his potentially dying words. He says, Timothy, this is my great charge as I face the door of death. I don't know what word you want to use. As, as, as death, the, what, death is knocking on the door. There you go. As death is knocking on the door, my plead with you is this. Keep going, son. I love you. I want to see you. But if I don't, keep doing effective ministry. So Christians, what are we going to do? How do we reclaim Christianity? Don't waste your time telling everybody what Christianity is not. Use your energy to show them what it is. Do the ministry. Am I talking about a pastoral position? I'm talking about the Christian church. Do the ministry. Be the church. This is building this church? Uh-uh. You are. So how do we do that? I want to spend the next few minutes we have together, I want to show you two ways we can show Christianity what people, show people what Christianity is. You ready for this? Number one, live with a contagious love for Jesus. Oh, I love that. I'm going to say that again. Live with a contagious love for Jesus. Well, what's that look like? Well, for starters, you can't give what you don't got, right? 
You can't give what you don't have. And so 1 John 4, 9 tells us what? We love because he first loved us. So I would just start off by saying, do you sincerely and honestly and really and truly know and love Jesus? Let me just boil it down for you really simple. Do you have it? Because you can't give what you don't have. Simple as I can make it. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, loves you so much that he died on the cross for your sins. Listen, you should have died on the cross for your sins, but he died on the cross for your sins in your place. He shed his blood, washed away your sins. He forgave you. It's not about what you need to do. It's about what he's done for you. He did that for you. You can be forgiven in Christ Jesus. He rose on the third day, and whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That means not that you believe he exists. It means do you believe in his promise that he is sufficient to save you from your sins? Do you believe in that? If you have that, amen. If you don't, What's stopping you right now? And if you do that right now, just believe in him right now, then hey, welcome to the family. So then you, you, what do we do? When you have that, we live with the contagious love for Jesus. How do we do that? I, this is a corny example, and it's not perfect, but um, I, love, I love the ideal of old-fashioned dating. I'm old enough that I'm, I'm old-fashioned this way. You guys remember... This will, this, will sound, this will be like a newsflash for some of you. There was a time where a date was like this. Boy likes girl. Boy talks to girl. Boy's really sweaty because he's nervous about talking to girl. And he hopes he doesn't notice. Fellas, am I right? Even when you propose, fellas who propose, you know she's going to say yes, and you are just like dripping sweat. Am I right? Every, I, you know, I mean, like, so... Will you go out with me? And she's going to do one of two things. She's going to say, oh, nay, nay, right? <laughs> or, or she's going to say, you can pick me up Friday at 6. And, and what, what, what you do is you pick her up Friday at 6. You take her on a nice date. You take her home back by 10. Not 10.01, 10 o'clock. You walk her up to her door. You sit awkwardly because you're like, I do not want this thing to end. She shuts the door, you get in your car, you go home, and you pray to God you get a second date, right? And then, in the meantime, you go on your second date, you go on your third date. In the meantime, you, you call your mama, and you're like, Mom, I met this girl. And you talk to your friends, you're like, bro, I met her. This is like Grease, like the movie Grease, before, the, before, you know, before school starts, right? I met this girl, and, then, and, and you just can't stop talking about how wonderful she, she is, Right? And, and, you know, your friends are almost annoyed because you won't stop talking about how great your date was and how infatuated you are. And, and there's the word you get from Bambi, you're all Twitter-pated, right? And they're just like, stop it. But at the same time, they're so excited to meet her because you, you, you can't stop talking about your love for her and you just can't stop about it. And then when they finally meet her, they're like, man, what did we say last week? How to lose her like you, get a girl like that, right? And, and, you know, they're like, she's even better than you said, it's not a perfect example, but, but what if we had a contagious love for Jesus like that? Where we, we, out of the overflow of our time with him, we can't stop telling people about how wonderful he is. We treat him like a person in our life that we spend time with, and then we tell our other people in our life about the time we spent with him. Amen, family? A contagious love where, where suddenly those who don't know him, they're like, I can't wait to meet Jesus. How do I, introduce me. Tell me about Jesus. 
And the people who do know Jesus, they want to spend time with you with Jesus. And here we are. Live with the contagious love for Jesus. Mm. And then here's what you do. Uh, at our, one of our gospel communities the other day, somebody told me, uh, melt, it just melted my heart, said they love the way Pastor Jeff loves Brittany. And I was like, oh, just melted me. Because we're like the old married couple now. We've been married for like 12 or 13 years now. I forget. Oh my gosh, I shouldn't say that out loud. <laughs> well, we made it, we made it that long. <laughs> we used to be the cute married couple, the cute young married couple. Now Pat and Sophie are the cute young married couple. Everybody's always talking about Pat and Sophie instead of Jeff and Brittany now. <laughs> Just kidding. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, it melted my heart because I love my wife more now than I did a decade ago when we first got married. And I love that people can see that. In fact, I just, I just got done reading a book, 1001 Ways to Be Romantic, because I need a little help this long in, this far in. And uh, I wrote, I made a list of the top 100 of 1001 Ways that I'm going to surprise her with throughout the year. The thing is, is it takes an active investment in our relationship to make the love grow. Some people don't like Christianity because of who Jesus is, but it seems like some Christians are determined to make people dislike Jesus for who he is not. And instead of, instead of Jesus as a person who you invest your life in, relationship with, you use him as a weapon to strike down anybody who disagrees with you. That's not what Jesus taught you to do. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So we're supposed to be praying for the man who stabbed and killed the Ethiopian pastor in hopes that he comes to love Jesus rather than seeking vengeance on him for killing somebody we love. So what are we going to do? We're going to reclaim Christianity by living with a contagious love for him. We, I want to talk about this more. We've got to go into our last point. Okay? But here's what I would tell you. Okay, Do this. I'm serious. Think of somebody, that you, the first person that comes to your mind that you feel like is a good example of this. Tell them that you think they're a good example of that and tell them you want to spend more time with them because you're the culmination of the six people you spend the most time with. The study actually says five, but I always say six because I add Jesus to the mix, okay? There's studies on this. So you're the culmination of the six people you spend most time with. Have Jesus be one and make sure there's a few people in there that model that which you want to be because you'll be that if you spend time with those people. Guess what? God made you that way. Anything good we figure out in science is just we just figured out what God designed. And he designed you that way. So what are you going to do? We're going we're gonna to con- have a contagious love for Jesus. And second thing, really quick, we're going to build an inviting community of compassion. This, isn't this the nature of verse 2 and verse 5? Do the ministry with great patience and teaching. What does that mean? There's going to be people in your circle who need compassion from you. There will be people through effective ministry. There are going to be people who, you know, sometimes you're just like, oh my gosh, 
right? And that's why the Lord says, this isn't a ritual. This is like you're a brick on your head, okay? And you're just like, dear Lord. And, and what, what does he say? He, Have great patience and teaching. Love them abundantly. How do we do this? We're going to build a community of compassion with great patience and teaching. And then what does verse 5 say? He says, exercise self-control. Always be sober-minded so that you're always prepared to express the contagious love of Jesus you have. We're going to build a community of that. Look at what Jesus says in John 13, 35. By this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for who? One another. What is this? This is a community of compassion. What is this? Community building. Bible teaching, people reaching, community building, disciple making. Let's build a community of compassion with contagious love for Jesus. Amen, family? You know, I, I just, I had the best talk with a disciple the other day. We meet intentionally to do some discipleship time. And this person shared some really heavy sin. Heavy sin. This person's been carrying it for, for a year. A year. A whole year, and it's some heavy stuff. Talk to me about it after a year of holding on to it. And, and through this conversation, we had the best situation. I was able to express love to someone who was hurting rather than condemning them and chopping them down. And I watched as we had this conversation as this person, everything got lighter. I watched the struggle leave this person's posture. And I got to look at this person with great patience and teaching and love and compassion. And we have community built around these conversations. And I got to say, hey, you know what? You've already done all the tough stuff. God's been working in your life behind the scenes. You've already conquered this. The only reason he wanted you to tell me was so that I could tell you these words. Warrior, your battle is won. In Christ, this battle is won. You're delivered from it. Jesus has given you victory over this battle. He's convicted you. You've repented. You've given it to him. And now this battle is done. You're won. You've won. Family, I just want to tell you today, with everything that I have, Jesus loves you so much. You and I have a great calling on our lives to be ambassadors for King Jesus and have conversations like that with people who are hurting so bad. With the heaviest sins, and you can just look up to them, look at them with a contagious love for Jesus and say, Jesus forgives you. He loves you. You've won. The battle's done in Jesus. And you're going to invite them to be part of a Christian community of compassion. Amen, family? What are we going to do? We're not going to spend, stand up for our last song. Stand, stand up. Let's, let's worship. And what are we going to do? We're going to do what? We're going to shine brighter in an increasingly dark world. We're not going to spend all of our time telling people, show, telling people what Christianity is not. We're going to show them what it is. Amen, family? Father God, I pray that you bless us to be exactly what we spoke of today in all of the right ways and none of the wrong ways. But we know that we're going to mess up. We know that we're imperfect ambassadors of you, but we're going to do what we can and we're going to trust you to fill in the gaps. Father, I pray. I pray that those here right now make themselves known that they're wrestling with things. 
that they, they, they reach out to myself, they reach out to somebody, they go to gospel community, because we don't have to carry these things alone. We can work on these together. God, I pray those people right now, you're calling to salvation, that they don't hide, that you compel them to make themselves known so we can rejoice together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Family, as we go into this last song, I want to tell you, this sermon's too short, my words are inadequate, and this is best effective when we live it out together. So please do yourself the great favor of continuing this conversation outside of this sanctuary. Amen? Let's worship.